0: excited here from pete benson today let's give it up for him anyway excited here he has to share with us hey all right y'all ready for this all right so some of you aren't what if you were going to make a hundred dollars an hour to be here for all four hours how would that make you feel what if you were paid a thousand dollars an hour for four hours how many of you signing up for that What if you were paid $10,000 an hour to be here today for all four hours? How many of you signing up? Well, it's not worth that. It's worth $100,000 an hour. You think I'm kidding. I'll prove it to you. I can guarantee that if you put into practice today the principles that I give you and you make the effort to be here for all four hours, Over your lifetime, it will save you either in money made or money not spent, which is all the same, $8,000 a year averaged out over the next 50 years. I'm not that good with math. Those guys are. But anyone in the room know what 50 times 8,000 is? How much? $400,000. I don't make that many guarantees, but I will make this one that over your lifetime, and I'm being conservative, $400,000, okay? That's what the value of this is today. I want to save you a lifetime of hurt and agony and stress and worry, and if you listen to these things, you write them down on your heart, and you implement them, there's no question in my mind that it's worth more than that. Now, I told some people yesterday, you guys are at a Bible college. You're going to get an education, which costs more at a Bible college, a lot of times than it does other places, to be paid less than everybody else. If anyone on earth God expected to know about money, it's you guys. I mean, the people that go out and immediately get an education, and make $100,000 a year, $200,000 a year, $300,000 a year, they can just slough their way through college and they don't care what they spend. They're pretty well guaranteed to make a lot of money and pay that back soon. You are not. So if God expected and wanted anybody to know about money, it's you guys. You need to. It's imperative. It's, it's not a choice you have to know about money. The others can get away with it. I don't have to live on a budget now. I do, but I don't have to. You do. And so this is vital. That is why in the Bible there are 2,350 references to money, possessions, stewardship, and all that we have. Did you know that that's more than prayer and faith and hell and heaven? combined and you think you went to Bible college to learn about all those great things and we think we're being spiritual because we turn to all the verses that are about faith and prayer and heaven and hell I got to know about these things why did 15 percent of every word that came out of Jesus mouth in his three years of ministry have something to do with money did he not think that maybe that could be something that would trip us up pretty substantially in our lifetime I think so So if the emphasis is there in the Bible, which, by the way, is the number one reference that I want you to turn to when it comes to financial matters, especially the book of Proverbs, if you don't read our book that we're going to make available for you and I'm going to tell you about, but you read one book, read the Bible, read Proverbs, actually do what those things say. I met with a man the other day that graduated from MIT. Anyone ever heard of that? He looks like Einstein. He's got this white hair sticking up all over the place. He forgot more in the last minute than I'll ever know in a lifetime. I told him last week, I'm investing some of his money, and I told him I was going to be up here this week. If he needed anything, call the office. People take care of him and everything. Dr. Thomas Chester. And I told him what I was going to do for you guys. He said, Wow. I went to MIT. And I've never had one hour of the kind of practical teaching that you're going to give about finances. You can graduate from Harvard, from Princeton, from MIT, and never get any of this. No wonder our world's a mess. No wonder the U.S. government is $17.5 trillion in debt. There's so much fiscal irresponsibility. Why don't we be the example? As Christians, why aren't we the people who actually live the way that God told us in the Bible to live. Why, don't, why aren't we the ones that blaze the trail, that's the example in all that? It's not too late. We can be, and that's a Christian witness in itself. Dave Ramsey said, if you want to live like no one else, you got to live like no one else. I'm going to tell you some hard things here today. Some of you are going to want to throw something at me. You're going to not like it. It's going to be hard to take, but it's true. If you want to live like no one else, you've got to decide today that you've got to live like no one else. Normal is broke. Normal has $15,000 of credit card debt, let alone, I'm not talking about students. I'm talking about people out there in the world that, that literally are spending $1.22 for every dollar they take in. I mean, that's, that's wacko. That's crazy. That's what normal is. The Bible says we're not of this world. We're different, we're aliens, we're, we're strange. I'm gonna call you today to be strange when it comes to money. And I'll tell you what else it'll do. It'll make you free when it comes to money. How many of you would like to get out there eventually and do ministry for the rest of your life and not have a hundred pound sack of potatoes wrapped around your neck that you're carrying around? Everywhere that you go, there's this thing that never goes away all day long every day it's hanging over you it's a weight that you're trying to break through but you can't get through because there's this thing this millstone hanging around your neck you can get rid of that it's not going to be easy but you can so i know this afternoon is optional i can't make you be here but i'm going to be here a hundred thousand dollars an hour i'm serious So if you don't have pen and paper, you need to get it. And I'm going to also show a little video, too, because I'm going to tell you what I'm going to show you what comes what happens to money. But just just a sec. Let me try to Shane's got me all going here. Okay, here's our book. Uh, You need to like Beacon Capital Management on Facebook, like Beacon Capital Management on Facebook. And every day over the next couple of months, we'll be uh, advertising that. Our book is coming out. It's called Money Enough for Life. So what I'm teaching you here today at $100,000 an hour, there's going to be about four times that much information in there that you can have as a resource. And so you need to get that book. It's going to be available on Amazon and all that. And I'm not trying to sell books here today because we're going we're to make a way for this very affordable for all of you. But here's some of our contact information. And what I really want to show you is this. Now, I don't want the staff or faculty to, uh, have a heart attack when I uh, show you South Park. But anyway, this is, uh... Do
1: I really have to do this, Dad? Stan, now more than ever, you need to understand the importance of saving money. But Grandma said I could use this money to buy whatever I want. Okay, next, please. Go on, Stanley. (laughs) I got a $100 check from my Grandma, and my dad said I need to put it in the bank so it can grow over the years. Well, that's fantastic. A really smart decision, young man. We can put that check in a... do I really have to do this, Dad? Stan, now Sorry. more than ever, you need to understand the importance of saving money. I didn't think you got my it first. first Grandma said time. I could use this money to buy whatever I want. Okay, next, please. Go on, Stanley. I got a $100 check from my grandma, and my dad said I need to put it in the bank so it can grow over the years. Well, that's fantastic. A really smart decision, young man. We can put that check in a money market mutual fund. Then we'll reinvest the earnings into foreign currency accounts with compounding interest, and it's gone. Uh, what? It's gone. It's all gone. (laughs) What's all gone? The money in your account. It didn't do too well. It's gone. What do you mean? I I have $100. Not anymore, you don't. Poof. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, what can I do to get back my... I'm sorry, sir, but this line is for bank members only. I just opened an account. Do you have any money invested with this bank? No, you just lost it all. Then please stand aside for people who actually have money with us. Next, please. Hey! Hello, Mrs. Farnickel. How are you today? Making a deposit, are we? Great. We can just put that into your retirement account and make it go to work for you, and it's gone. What? Sorry, yeah, that's gone. Please step aside for people who actually have money with the bank. Next, please. Dad! Hey, I'm trying to teach my son the importance of savings. You already lost his money? Oh, Mr. Marsh, don't worry. We can just transfer money from your account into a portfolio with your son, and it's gone! This line is for people who have money with the bank only. Please step aside.
0: (laughs) Poof. We do that in our office all the time. We walk around like, poof. Well, that's what happens to money. Easy come, easy go. Or maybe not. So hard to get, but easy to go away. So, what I want to teach you here today is how it doesn't have to go poof, okay? So, we're actually going to cover 10 main points, and you need to write these things down on your heart. Jim Rohn, who I uh, actually um, quote him quite a bit on a lot of things, he says, Formal education will make you a living, self education can make you a fortune. I'm not here to make you a fortune here today, but from this great institution or you're going to get a formal education. But it's the self-education and the things you do besides that's really going to make the additional difference in your life. So you really need to learn about that. So um, I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear today, but I am going to tell you what you need to know. And you just need to trust me on that and believe me. So what happens is you get all these great principles into your life, and you learn them, and then guess what happens? Life comes around and throws something at you, doesn't it? Well, here's what I want you to do, and you need to write this down. I want you to throw life back at life. The L stands for learn. The I stands for implement. The F, you got that for me, right, or how did that happen? (laughs) The F stands for fail, and the E stands for evaluate. So, What you do is you learn, and then you implement, and guess what happens? You fail. I still fail. Everyone in here fails. We know what we need to do, but we don't do it, so we fail. But what many of you do is give up. That's not what you do. You evaluate, and then you go back to the beginning again. It's learn, it's implement, it's fail, it's evaluate. Then it's learn, it's implement, it's fail, it's evaluate. That's going to happen your entire life with many things, but especially today we're talking about money. So you need to throw life back at the life circumstances that hit you. So the first sign, Shane, you can can do that better than I can because I like to be down here where I can see people. Uh, Road sign number one. Oh, wait, wait, yeah, we got to go, we, yeah, we want to go with number one, partner with God, okay, write that down, that's the first step, you need to partner with God, that's the first step to financial freedom is this is a partnership, now, I got all kinds of verses for you, but uh, again, you can write down the, uh, the verse, but we're not going to look them all up, Psalm 24, 1, the earth uh, is the Lord's and everything in it, First Chronicles 29, 2, both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. Your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Deuteronomy, I love this, chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. told you there were a lot of verses in there about money. You say to yourself, the power, my power and the strength of my hands have produced wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God. It is he that gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's always God. He is to be our partner. You've got to go through life with a partnership with God about money. Now, he's going to do his part, but what would it be if it was a partnership and he did his part and you didn't do your part? So you're there and you're like, I don't like money. You have no choice but to be educated. I mean, personal hygiene, is it a choice or not? You say, I don't like to take the time to do that. You've got to do it anyway. If you're going to be a witness in Christian ministry, you got to smell good. You got to look good. You've got to, you know, take care of what needs to be taken care of. It's ridiculous, is what we were discussing before y'all came in. You know, the fact that you just, like, say, uh, I'm not going to put gas in my tar- car. I'm never going to get the oil changed. I'm just going to trust God that He's just going to take care of all those things. Sounds ridiculous, right? And yet, when it comes to money, it's like, okay, I'm just going to have faith and God's going to supply. He supplies through a partnership. And especially that happens through Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 and on. You know the story. We don't have time. But there's three principles that I want to teach you out of the parable of the talents. You know, the one guy got five, one got two, one got one. You say, that's not fair. Guess what? When it comes to money, that's everybody's lot in life. Everybody gets a different amount. No matter how much you have, somebody's got more. Okay, I don't know who's got the most. Gates or somebody but uh no matter how much you have someone has more so it's not distributed freely uh or evenly somebody asked Rockefeller which pretty wealthy guy how much money did he leave uh so or somebody asked uh at his funeral somebody else they said how much money did he leave and they looked at him and he said he left it all okay so no matter how much you have you're going to leave it all but the the number one principle is our stuff is not our stuff he entrusted in that parable what happened he entrusted his property to them did it ever become theirs no so let me ask you a question if jesus walked through that door right now in flesh and entrusted you with something would you take good care of it would you say oh my gosh jesus in the flesh just walked in the room and handed me this oh my gosh You know, wow, that's amazing. Any dollar, one dollar that Jesus gives to you through some way or another in your lifetime, you are responsible to be a steward. That's a big responsibility. So this dollar right here, when it comes in through a loan, through an educational loan, through a gift, through work, When it comes into your hand, every single one of those. He entrusted that dollar to us. He gave his own money to us. If we ever earn any money, it was God who allowed us to have that. It's like he placed it in our hands. And so he entrusted his property to them. He never said ever that it was theirs. And so if something is a gift from God. We need to be very responsible for it. Secondly, we are expected to be pr- productive. So this is in the same point about Matthew chapter 25. We're expected to be productive. A partnership is just that. I have a partnership in business. John Max and myself, we have a partnership. If one of us do all the work and the other doesn't, how many of you think that's going to be a very good partnership? Not very lasting. We want to pull our weight. And so I'm going to take speaker's prerogative for a second, rant, okay? This is a this is a Pete Benson rant. It's worth $100,000 an hour, so you had to give me some privilege. The work ethic today everywhere and anywhere is pathetic. Pathetic. Talk about another way we need to be different. If you work at anything, you need to be the hardest worker in that place. That's your calling. That's your responsibility to be a witness through your work. When you don't, you're robbing people of money. You're taking something that you didn't earn. You are stealing from them when you don't work hard. And I know there's probably people out there that work harder than I do. I just don't know very many. I mean, when I go to a conference and there's hundreds of people there, I'm always the first one to the room in the morning. I'm there, I'm ready. I'm telling you what, I took my time, I paid money, I'm going to go there. By gosh and by golly, I'm going to get everything I can squeeze out of that. The first one there, the last one to leave. I'm at my office in the morning, hours before everybody else that gets there. Is it any surprise that I own the business and they work for me? And I don't mean that to brag, I'm just telling you a point in life. I'm making a point today that we need to learn to work. That's what life is. That's that's uh, throughout your whole life. We've got to learn to work. My wife, Jenny, that I told you some about yesterday, when we were in Huntsville, Alabama, we needed some extra money in the family. All the kids were in school. And so uh, we decided that, you know, if she could get a little part-time money, that'd be good. And so she put her name in the manpower, and her first call was to go pass out leaflets for some politician that she'd never heard tell of before and get there early and as people came to vote pass out these things and I went there to bring her coffee and a bunch of things she was there 18 hours that day and made minimum wage for nothing but that lady is a worker and then she had another job to go to some kind of thing that did television gold star I don't even think it's uh, uh, out anymore she worked a couple of days there and then she finally got a call from a place called Bell South Mobility, which was a cell phone when cell phones weren't even popular. I remember in those days when, when they allowed us to finally uh, put uh, an installed unit inside the car. And we got 35 minutes for the month. And every time you picked up the handset, if someone called you or you called them, you were, you were tagged for the minutes. And, and I remember going through Huntsville, Alabama, and, and I'd put this phone up to my ear, and I was like, oh, man, I'm the Mac Daddy, you know? Like, nobody's got a phone but me. And I got this installed phone because she's there. But when she went there, somebody who also was working as a receptionist at the front desk, uh, they were temporary, too, through manpower, and there was a death in the family. And so 9 o'clock in the morning, she'd gotten up in the morning, got dressed with no place to go in case manpower called. They called, they said, can you be there? Somebody suddenly had to leave. She said, yes, I'll be there. She goes to be the receptionist, didn't know how to work the phone, first day on the job, she's only going to be there a few days and then someone else is going to come back. She did such a phenomenal job. When the receptionist that was there came back a week or two later from the funeral, they, they asked her, would you you know, work at some other things here part-time and so on? Fast forward to a year or so later, after they've offered her a full time position, they asked her if she would be willing to be a team manager, leader. She did that. Then there's another opportunity to uh, go up in the company, and she comes home and she says, Pete, she says, they've offered me this position, but she says, they've made it very clear that you have to have a college degree in order to be considered for it, but they put my name in anyway. I guess they had to have so many choices just to make it look good. She comes back a couple of weeks later, she got the job. They made an exception, and again, and again, and again. And over 14 years, she ended up being the director over the whole, we moved to Tennessee, over the whole state of Tennessee. There was the vice president who was over Kentucky and Tennessee, and for Tennessee, she was under him and had 300 people from Bristol, Tennessee, to Memphis, Chattanooga, Knoxville, Nashville, and everywhere in between, was totally under her responsibility. Never had only one year of secretarial where she learned to do shorthand here at Bethany Bible College. That was her qualifications. So why in the world did she get picked to do all that? And when she left there, I begged her to to come work for us, and to, she wanted to take care of the grandkids two days a week. This was like nine years ago. She was making $175,000 a year and walked away from it. But what got her there? Work. Work. Integrity. They knew that when they asked her to do something, that was going to be done 100%. If it was possible to do 110%, it would be that she would be the first one there, the last one to leave. If there was anything left to do, she'd be the one to do it. If they had to call her on the weekend or whatever, and we have family time, our kids love us, okay? We have the greatest relationship with our kids. We weren't such workaholics that we didn't make priority for family. things. Our kids and six grandkids can't wait to get together with us. We have a blast, but I'm telling you what, we work. And when it's a partnership with God, how dare us ask him to give his 100% to us and us not give our 100% to him? Does that sound right? That's unfair. That's asking him to bail us out for the lack of what we were supposed to do. This is a partnership. He asked those guys, put your talents to work. Wow, he wasn't easy on those who didn't, was he? Ooh, it's a bad situation. The third thing about that is this. Okay, number one, our stuff is not our stuff. Number two, we this is a partnership. We're expected to be productive. Number three, we will all be held accountable. We are to be accountable. One day we're going to stand before God. We may get into heaven, but we're going to be accountable for every one of those that God somehow in any way whether it was through a loan, whether it was through work or whatever, if that whether it was a gift from someone like Katie Brown who didn't have $10 to spare but sent it to Pete Benson because she believed in me and you've gotten gifts from people through your church that way, we're to be responsible. We're going to stand before God and he's going to say, what did you do with every dollar that I gave you? Now, in my business we work with certain insurance companies and so on that are rated all the way from AAA to F. Triple A is the highest rating. How many of you, when it comes to each one of these points and what you do with money, would like to be a triple A rated person? Okay, I wanna be the highest I can be. I wanna be the best I can be. Well, here's how you do it. Number one, you assess And you rate yourself 1 through 10. So right now, we're not going to break into groups today, but this is your point. When it comes to partnership with God right now, I don't care if the person next to you sees your grade you're giving yourself or not. I want everyone right now, take five seconds. That's all it takes. You know know what your grade is. How would you rate yourself, 10 being great, 1 being very poor, between 1 and 10 on partnering with God when it comes to money right now, Him doing his part and you doing all that you can do, how would you rate yourself? And if you only do one, which is A, assess, you would be good. How many of you just want to be good? I don't want to be good. I want to be the best. So that gets us to the next one, and that's an action plan. Now, we don't have time to do that right now, but I'm going to ask you to do an action plan later. Now, number three, I do want you to do. Right now, I want you to name who you need to ask to be your accountability partner when it comes to all you're going to learn today about money. You need an accountability partner. I'm going to tell you right now, without one, you're going to fail. So you might as well just leave now and go back to your room and go sleep. Because if you're not going to get an accountability partner, this ain't going to happen. So I need you to write that name down right now. Because you want to be AAA, You want to be the strongest. You want to be the best. There is no higher rated company than AAA. There isn't a, a quadruple A. There's a triple A. That's it. Don't you want to be the best? I want you to be the best. I poured into this so you could be the best. You need to do all those. You need to assess. You need to have an action plan. You need to have accountability. Now, this is going to cost me some money. I told you about the book. Every person in here, and we'll make sure you have it before we leave, Every person in here that will send me through email sometime within the next two weeks. That's what you got. You got two weeks. Any longer than that, send it to me. You're going to pay for your own book. Anyone who sends to me all of these ten points with their writing and with at least a two-sentence action plan. You don't have to go into all the gory details. Two-sentence action plan any accountability partner, I'm going to buy everyone in this room a book. I'm going to give you all my book. It's going to cost me money, but I'm going to give everyone. You don't do that within the next 2 weeks and you can get one, you can buy it, okay? But this is going to be motivational. It's going to cost me some money, okay? So I've already made you $400,000, now it's costing money out of my pocket. So, number 1, partner with God, okay? Number 2, Shoot, I gotta go up here. Plan to succeed. Plan to succeed. You gotta have a plan. A roadmap. I talked about Einstein. Who knows if it's true or not, but it's a good story. Einstein got on a train one day and he goes up to the conductor and absent-minded professor. He can't he can't find his ticket. And so He tells the conductor, I I, I can't find my ticket. The conductor said, oh, Mr. Einstein, it's okay. I know who you are. And so Einstein gets on the train with his uh, suitcase, and the conductor goes around. He picks up everybody else's ticket and so on like that and comes back, and there's Einstein. He's got his suitcase open. There's clothes going all over the place, and he's rooting through the stuff, taps him on the shoulder. He said, Mr. Einstein, he said, it's okay. I already told you. I know who you are. Einstein looked back at him and said, I I know who I am too, but he said, if I don't find my ticket, I have no idea where I'm going. (laughs) Well, guess what? 95% of the people that I talk to about finances, not just students in college, but people that are graduates from MIT, graduates from all over the country, successful CEOs, attorneys, businessmen, it doesn't matter what it is, 95% of Americans couldn't show me a written plan of their finances at any given time. 5% have it, 95% do not Now I'm going to ask you a question. If you're going on a journey of life and it takes finances to get there, don't you need a plan? You need a plan in order to succeed. No matter what it is, you have to have a plan. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Do you know and do you care? I do. I have a plan. You can have a plan, even now. Throughout your whole life, you always need to have a written plan. If somebody comes to you and says, what's your plan? You keep adjusting that plan. You keep referring to that plan. That plan is going to be fluid. It's going to change all kinds of circumstances. But you always need a plan. Proverbs 22 and 3 says, A prudent man foresees the difficulties ahead and prepares for them. The simpleton, you know, you think sometimes I can be pretty straight and black and white. The Bible, it calls us a simpleton, goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Do you want to be prudent or do you want to be a simpleton? Proverbs twenty-seven, twelve: a prudent man sees evil and hides himself. The naive proceed and they pay the penalty. Pretty cut and dry, isn't it? Black and white. Let me ask you a question. If someone left you $4 million, do you think it would be important to have a plan to make sure that you don't squander that, but that you do a good job with that? Well, let me tell you a little something that none of you have ever thought of here today. And that is that the average person, now, not all us old folks, because we too much time has gone by, but all you young folks, even in Christian ministry, the average person or couple in this room, between now and if you live a full-time life to 85 years old, will be responsible during your lifetime between 3 and $5 million. Seriously. $50,000 a year for 60 years. If you're 20 and you live to 80, dollars a year for household income, it ain't that high, believe me. And 10 years from now, 20 and 30 and 40, when you're still alive, it's going to take a lot more. 50 is going to, it's going to be 100 just to be worth 50 If you make $50,000 a year for 60 years, that's $3 million. Over your lifetime, you talk about the average person. When I sit down with them at 70, 80 years old and say, how much money do you think? How many of these have come somehow, some way into your life during your entire three score years and ten? The average person has never thought about it. They think, oh, I was just poor all my life. Every one of these three million, four million, five million. If you make $100,000 a year for 50 years, do the math. It's not that hard. So you are going to be responsible for that. And here, you know, give kudos to Dr. Gorvette, his wife, Dr. Smith, all the others that have coordinated this. You got all the smart schools out there. And they're not offering something like this. Just practical, good financial advice that everybody needs. You take every course imaginable on all this stuff that, quite frankly, close your ears. Most of you are never going to use a lot of the stuff that you get. You're going to use this every day. There's not a day goes by that every person from teenagers and above doesn't make a financial decision. There's not one. We're bombarded with thousands and thousands of advertisements when you get in a car after this, and uh, after this is over, and because of the big snowstorm, you're going to drive all the way to the cafeteria. Somebody in the car says, you know, they're having beans and weenies at the cafeteria. That sucks. I don't want any of that. I want to go find something good. So who's got any money in their pocket? So here we go. We're all putting our chains together, and we go down to Tim Hortons, and we get a we get a, uh, can, you know, a, a soup or, or sandwich. We just made a financial decision. And for every dollar that you spend today, think of it as $5 later. Over your lifetime, the compound effect of that is worth 5 So when you go to Starbucks, you don't have one here in town, do you? All right. When you go to Starbucks, I don't think Tim, Tim's is cheaper, but uh, go to Starbucks $5 for a cup of coffee. I want you, when you hand that person the $5, to think $25. Ew. Wow, because that $5 spent today could have been worth $25 later, easy. When you think about it that way, that's a whole different ballgame. So we're going to be responsible for big amounts of money, and we need to have a plan. We need to determine our values. We need to set our goals. A lot of people live their life like Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown has a lot of great uh, things to teach us. You, you know, Maybe you've seen the cartoon where in the first frame, Charlie Brown is pulling back his bow and his arrow. And in the second frame, he goes over by the fence. In the third frame, he paints a bullseye around the arrow. And Lucy, of course, she's got all the wisdom in the world. She goes up and she says, Charlie Brown, but that's not the way it's done. And he looked back at her and said, yeah, but this way I never miss. You see, that's what we do. We shoot it out there, and then we say, okay, that's what I meant to do, and that was my destination. That's not the destination. Did you know that John Wesley didn't have a whole lot of money in his lifetime, but do you know he had a plan? He said, I want to earn all I can. You think he was a worker? Wow, he'd work me to death. That guy got up in the morning. He, went, he barely slept. He rode horseback or whatever he did all over the place. He said, I want to earn all I can. You say, oh, but I'm too spiritual. I don't want to think about money. Well, the Bible talks a lot about it, so it's not very spiritual either, is it? That Bible, that talks more about money than it does faith and prayer. How terrible. He said, I want to earn all I can. You know what? I want to earn all I can. You say, oh, yeah, you're money hungry. You you just want to You're just all about that money. You just want to make that money. Yeah, I want to earn all I can. I'd rather it be in my hands. You know why? So that I can save all I can. Not so that I can build bigger barns and all kinds of stuff. But, oh, it's the third point. So that I can give all I can. I want to earn all I can so I can save all I can, and the more I save, the smarter I am with money. You think saving is, is putting all this money in the bank account and worshiping the bank account. No, he's talking about saving money. When you buy something on sale, when you're smart, when you, when you use your money wisely, that's saving money. And you know what? If you pay less, it leaves more left over, and what are you able to do? Give. I know every one of you, you wouldn't be in Bible college if you weren't giving people. You're giving people. I'm telling you what, I'm going to get to that this afternoon. You come, I'm going to get the good part. Because I'm going to talk about excelling at giving this afternoon. I'm going to tell you one of, the, one of the greatest joys of my life and anybody. It's not about getting. I get to save to give. That's what John Wesley, he had it nailed, man. He says, I want to earn all I can because, see, I'm not a hoarder. I'm a giver. I want to earn all I can so I can save all I can so that there's more left over and there's so many things to give to. And you're saying, man, I, I can't wait till I get out there. People have given me so much. I want to give back. I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm telling you, I, I don't, I, it's, it's hard for me almost not to get ahead of myself to want to talk about that, but we're not. So that's the second point. You need a plan to succeed. Number three, budget rules. Oh, this is not the fun part. Are you ready? Let me me hit this thing up here. I don't know where it went. Uh, I think I got it on here. This is worth it. Here we go. If your outgo exceeds your income, then your upkeep will be your downfall. That's a lot of wisdom right there. I didn't come up with it, but I love it. I've used it a million times, I think. If you're outgo, I mean, if you want one lesson on money that just basically sums it all up, if your outgo exceeds your income, then your upkeep will be your downfall. You can't spend $1.22 for every dollar that you have come in. People try to, but it can't be done. It doesn't work. The math won't work. Let me tell you, wealth and financial freedom require tough choices every day. And tough choices about money is all about budgeting. You see, this dollar that I showed you before, when you, when this dollar slips out of these hands and goes to something else, Tim's, Walmart, whatever it is, when that's gone from your hand, that dollar will never be yours again. You say, yeah, but I can go back to my room. I can get my ATM card. You know, our generation, we used to think that money grew on trees. Now we have to teach the children that money doesn't grow inside of ATMs. You say, I can go get another dollar and replace that. Yeah, but that dollar will never be back again. And that dollar's not one dollar. It's how much? Thank you very much. You're listening. It's $5. That dollar... I mean, when you think of it, and that's why, uh, again, this wasn't necessarily a big part of the notes, and this is where many of you will disagree with me. Unless you know that you are just an absolute, you know, the best person that you've ever met when it comes to finances, maybe you need to get rid of your ATM card. Y'all, Pete, yeah, but you're old fashioned. Now, when you put money in your pocket, And you hand it to someone, there's a psychological thing that goes off in your head that's hard to do. When you hand someone plastic, that doesn't look like money. When you hand them money, it feels like money. Oh, man, I had that, and now you got my money. But when it's an ATM, it's so easy. I mean it's so easy. But when you start counting those dollars out one by one in your hand, and you hand it to someone, and you know how hard that was to come by That's hard to release. So I recommend that if you're one that is not, you know, some genius when it comes to money and you're just the best person on earth that everybody around you know when it comes to money, you need to go to that system like today. You need to have a budget. You say, "I, I don't have any money. You have to have money to be here. Even if it was loaned to you, you're now responsible for that money. And I wonder if we actually calculated, and Ivan could probably do it, how many hours you have per semester to a $15,000 cost for this, how much is this costing you to be here today? You're being paid by the hour. Money that you spent that came into your hands, that's part of what you do every hour of every day. Put 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 a dollar amount on that. When you're sitting in class. When you're sleeping too much. Put a dollar on that. Here you are paying $15,000 a year, $60,000 for a degree, and you're not giving it your best? If someone works for me and they're paid $60,000, they're going to give it their best, or they can go find another job. I can get lots of people in behind them that will actually do the job. John Maxwell, who is... a <laughs> You know, one of the guys that I love to follow and been a great mentor and everything, read everything I can get. Not necessarily known to be, you know, know, give great financial advice necessarily, but he said a budget is people telling their money where to go instead of wondering where it went. So you're going to do one or the other. You're either going to have a budget and know where it goes or you're going to wonder where it went. And many people are still wondering where it goes. It's sad, you know, that we hate that dreaded B word, budget. Oh, Budget seems restrictive. Well, aren't you glad that there's rules of the road that are restrictive? Like there's this yellow line down the center, and you've got your side, and they've got their side. We don't look at that as being restrictive. When you're on the Cabot Trail in Nova Scotia, and they have guardrails up, Are you glad for those? Oh, but they're restrictive. You don't have the freedom to just do whatever you want if you want to go over the cliff. No, you're glad for those restrictions. A budget helps you not go over the cliff financially. You say, I I can't do that. You have to learn. You have have no choice. You're either going to fail and be out of ministry or you're going to learn this. I'm serious. You're going to be out of ministry because... God gave you 2,350 verses in the Bible, and you didn't pay attention to them. Maybe you shouldn't be in ministry. I mean, this is a very, very serious matter. I want to give you the freedom. I'm not about restricting. I want to give you the freedom to go out, but that budget is what gets you there. We Americans and Canadians, we, we adore our freedom, and we don't like anyone telling us what to do, and yet those are the very things that a lot of times keep us from harming ourselves those are the things that we need a budget helps you decide how you are going to spend your monthly allotment or income or daily or whatever you can break it down to to the semester and then the month and then the week and then the day and then the hour you know what you've got to give some time to this it's not a choice you, you've got to get help. Ivan will help other people in here. There's people that are staff and professors and workers at the university that already know. They're really good at money that want to help you, that will help you. You need to take the initiative to get the help. Don't be embarrassed to ask for the help. The help is there. You've got to put time into this. You say, oh, but, you know, I'm going to sit in my Bible. I'm going to sit in my room and just read my Bible. Well, Pick out the ones that are about money. That would be a good start. But secondly, spiritual isn't just about reading your Bible. Spiritual is about learning about things about life that matter. And God gave us all the instruction we need. The education is there if we'll avail ourselves, but then we have to put it into practice. Did you know that when an airplane gets up into the air about 10,000 feet, they put it on autopilot? And did you know that an airplane goes from Los Angeles to Maui? That sounds good today, doesn't it? Goes from Los Angeles to Maui 99% of the time it's off course. That autopilot, it keeps veering, and the autopilot brings it into place. And did you know that that airplane can land on a dime at the Maui airport? You know why? because the autopilot was there restricting it from getting off course. But 99% of the time it was off course. I think sometimes in my own life, financially, you know, here I am teaching it, but that doesn't mean that, you know, we don't make mistakes or do things that we go, oh, shucks, why did I do that? And so you need to have the accountability, you need to have the education, you need to stay on course. So how many of you have ever mouthed the words, I have no idea where my money goes. You know, whether it's $5, $10, $25, $100, I have no idea where my money goes. Well, I know how you can know. You can track it. And I know that, uh, again, I'm an old fogey, and uh, I don't get it a lot of times. But I had Eileen go down and pick up some of these things. How many can you get? Where is she? She had to leave. Oh, how many? How many? Four for how much? Four for a dollar thirteen. Okay, these little babies saved my life. Now I know there's apps that you can get and all that. Well, that's good if you use them. They're no good if they just look fancy. I tell you, this doesn't look fancy, but it works. So here's what I did when I first struggled with this. I would sit down and I would say, okay from April, May, June, each month, I'm going to track. I'm going to know where my money goes because this little baby is going to be my financial Bible. I'm going to have my Bible in here, and I'm going to have this in here. And it actually helps if you take your wallet out, actually, and, and put this in here. You spend a lot less money. But seriously, you take this little baby, and you put April on the on the first page, and then you write the number one. You can do that. And then you turn to the next page, and you put on the second page, makes sense, doesn't it? Number two, three, four, go all the way through the days of the month. Come to May, do the same thing. I don't know how many can fit in this, maybe two months. And you carry that with you all the time. It doesn't take very much time, but only about five of you in the room will end up doing this. Those five will be successful financially. And what you do is you carry that with you, and every time, That ever a dollar and thirteen cents is spent, you put it in here. At the end of the week, you look through all the days and you look and you go over that in your mind and you say, Wow, spent two dollars and forty-nine cents there. Five times that. What Pete say that was? Oh man, I'm into 12 bucks I paid for that stupid thing. Why'd I do that? And then you go through, and at the end of each week, you tally it up. At the end of each month you know exactly where it went. At the end of the quarter, you know exactly where it went. At the end of the year, you know exactly where it went. You can have an idea where it goes. You just don't want to know. No, seriously, people don't want to know because the truth hurts. It tells them it's like a big flashlight shining on their life, and they don't like what they see, so they don't shine the flashlight. Most people go through life having no idea. They would rather be in ignorance than actually know the truth. Are you going to be the crowd that defies my odds of five people in the room that will do that? I hope so. I pray so. I prayed a long time before I came here that this would be life-changing. I have other things to do, too. You have other things to do. I want to make this worthwhile. This is Good stuff. But here's the thing. I haven't told anyone in the room, well, maybe a couple of things, but very little that you didn't already know. You see, you can't, if, if somebody's off track, you can't motivate them just to speed up, and that's going to cure the situation. They're still off track. You need to educate, but then... Behavior is the real key. You see, Dave Ramsey, anyone read any of his books? Y'all need to read all his books, okay? Read his books. Think of the fact that every chapter that you read in his books, you just got paid 100 bucks, Easy. Every chapter. Because that's what it's going to save you just in what you learned. Dave Ramsey says, winning with money is 80% behavior and only 20% head knowledge. Change how you act, and you can change your results. You see, I'm going to give you the education today, but then I'm going to get on a plane someday. (laughs) supposed to be tomorrow morning from Bangor, Maine. Probably not going to happen. There's a 99% chance that I might not be, but I'm going to go there. And when I said that I would do this seminar for you all, uh-oh, it's almost 10.30, so you just we'll, we'll stop here in a second. Uh, I can't be here to hold your hand and make you accountable. That's why, number one, I told you, you need to write down that accountability partner. If not, this whole thing was a waste of time for you. But there's people that are going to follow up behind this. Dr. Dave Smith, Ivan, other people, they're going to harass you. They're going to hound you. You know why? Because they love you and they care about you. And this isn't just any university where it's MIT, and they don't care. I'm not saying everybody doesn't care, but for the most part, it's totally different, the environment here. You've got people that sacrifice greatly, greatly. They could be doing a 100 other things, making a lot more money, but look around this room. They're investing their life in the people they see here because you guys are the difference makers. That's why I want to take this weight off you. That's why I want to teach you this so you can go out. And, man, what if you had this weight taken off and you could go out and you could just do ministry? Man, wouldn't that be awesome? You can. You can, but it's work. Things aren't just handed to you in life. It's work. It's discipline. I said yesterday, one of the quotes, you need to write this down or remember it and never forget it. Jim Rohn said this, R-O-H-N. You will always experience either one of two pains, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Wow. If I must say so, that's good stuff. You will experience it. So this is not a choice that you can just wheeze a lot of and say, well, you know, that just doesn't apply to me. You will either experience the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. I take the pain of discipline. I told you yesterday about an experience that I'm not proud of, that I live with regret, that if I could unring that bell every day of my life, if I could just unring that. But I wasn't disciplined, so I'm paying, I paid. Don't let that happen to you. Not just in that area, but every area, especially financially. There are so many people that have made decisions that are living with regret today financially. There's good people that are so gifted to do ministry all over Canada and the United States that aren't doing ministry today. Why? Because they didn't get this. They didn't get what you had the chance to get today. They didn't. They got all the gifts in the world. God gave them gifts. You look at them and you're like, wow, that person is so gifted. If I just had their gifts. But they're not even in ministry today of any kind because they didn't get this. This is not a choice. You have to get this. Now, uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to get in some good stuff. We're going to talk about college debt. We're going to talk about how uh, I'm going to help you with all that from whatever time we come back from this break until 1130. That's what we're going to hit. So buckle your seatbelts. That's the real good stuff. If you thought this was any good at all, we're going to get into good stuff, okay? All right, all right, let's give him a hand. Let's give it up one more time for Pete Benson here. That clap's not near as loud as when I first started. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Corvette said, eat up those donuts, because when I asked him when we're done, he said, when I'm finished. So, eat up. They're free. Did they cost them anything today? Well, I guess tuition or whatever, but. <laughs> All right, so we were talking about budget. You know, the next one is number four, but don't go there yet. Hang with me for a sec. By the way, how many so far We're through one, two, well, not we're not quite through three, so. Is that three? Oh, yeah, that's three. So how many of you have done the assess? And, well, you don't need to do the action plan yet, but have an accountability partner on all the ones I've hit so far. All right. Every hand needs to go up. We need to do this. This is important. This is good for your soul. Okay, I talked about Jim Rohn. Hebrews 12 and 11 That guy was a little bit ahead of Jim. He said, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of what? Righteousness. There you go. Somebody else said, don't wish it were easier. Wish you were better. Ah, I can't make it easier on you. Well, I kind of can. But I can make you better, or hopefully you can. So... When you leave these four hours, because everyone's coming back this afternoon, I hope, it's worth it, $100,000. You think I'm joking. 200 I'm going to give you all the knowledge or education you need. The one thing that I can't give you is the applied knowledge. I can't do the behavior for you. Only you can do that. So, <clears throat> you know, if this were a mostly a group of adults and so on, and I would get into budgeting and paying god, you know, god first and paying yourself second, an emergency fund and then living expenses. By the way, the readers digest version of that is you get to live on 75% of what you make after taxes. Here's the thing. Anybody who says that can't be done, somebody on this planet probably in Sussex, New Brunswick is doing it. You see, the problem is every time we make more money, our lifestyle raises with it. And no matter how much you go down to, it's going to take hard decisions and some really big things are going to have to go. But you can do it because, one, you probably, as you get older, you'll be able to look back and say, I did at one time. And there are others that are doing it. So we're going to get into number four, Shane. Control debt. Proverbs 22, 7. Ouch, write this down. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. How many of you, other than God ruling your life, how many of you like to be ruled over, and we want to be a servant of God, but I don't want to be the servant to some lender? He doesn't own me, but oh, but he might. So, The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. So, Pete, what are you saying? That all debt is bad? Absolutely not. I sometimes look around hunting to see if the Bible calls debt sin, but I can't find that verse. So I can't say that it's sin. I can say that I think it's discouraged to have as much as possible or to have, you know, try to have as little as possible. He doesn't call it debt but north americans today and that's the adults that are out there too are swimming in a sea of red ink they are everywhere i turn and the vast majority are drowning 1.1 million dollar or 1.1 million people in america will declare bankruptcy this year why because they wouldn't live within their means not that they couldn't there's always exceptions, but for the most part, they chose to do the things they do. Life is all about choices. That's what I want to get to in this little part. It's all about choices and trade-offs. And there's a good quote I read years ago that said, you'll either, you can either play now and pay later, or you can pay now and play later. I paid early. I get to play now. Now, it's your choice, but you, you, you it's one or the other. You either pay now and you get to play later, or you can play now and pay later. Your choice. So, uh, Shane, show us the U.S. debt clock. Show us that right now. I can't see it. Two, oh, yeah, $17.5 trillion, up here somewhere. Student loan debt, where'd it go? $1.1 billion. 10% of that will go into default. Only 90% will actually end up paying. 10% won't pay. Now lucky for me I'm a dual citizen. So when I figured this out it's not so lucky for me. With 17.3 trillion in debt because I actually did this part a few weeks ago, now it's 17 and a half. It's already jumped up at 17.3 in the US it's $57,300 per person that that equals to in the United States when you look at how many people live there to the debt. In, the United, or in Canada, the debt here is $600 billion. And when you take the citizens there, it equals $17,875. Because I'm a dual citizen, you combine them both. So I got $75,175. Because I'm married, you can double that. So I try to stay out of debt, but I owe $150,000 of the government's fiscal irresponsibility. And because I have three children and six grandchildren, I don't know how many, because they're not going to be able to pay their way. I'm probably going to have to pay theirs too. So now you just do the math. So debt. Debt. I mean, if you ever learn a lesson today, learn this today. America is the largest consumer society in the world. We currently owe 11 and a half. This is the citizens, not the government anymore. 11 and a half trillion in just consumer debt. That's just stuff that we bought that we didn't have the money to buy, but we decided that it was our right to have it. I want it all, and I want it now. And we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people that we don't even know. Tell me how much sense that makes. That's what we do because we're a consumer society, and I'm telling you, don't be normal. Be different. Swim upstream. Don't be like the rest of them. Does that look like it's fixed, or does it look like it's broke? Broke, right? Do you want to be broke or do you want to be fixed? Do you want to be wrong or do you want to be right? And so we've got to learn this. Again, that doesn't say that I'm against all debt. I would like to think that after you get college debt paid off and you start going through life, that the only debt, if, the big if, you even take this on, that the only debt you'll ever have for the rest of your life is a mortgage on a house, and that's not always even right. It, it's not like in the Bible, show me the verse, that says that it's your right, that God implants it on your heart, that you own a home while you're here on earth. What it does tell us is we're just passing through, and that we really don't own anything, that God entrusts us with everything we have, and we're whether we're Rockefeller or the poorest person on the planet, we're going to leave it all behind. I'm going to leave all my stuff behind. Don't get attached to it. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. It's just stuff. It's just stuff. That said, a college education is a valuable thing to have. And what I want you to understand is what a great privilege it is to be sitting where you sit today. You're in college. Do you know that there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands, millions of students right now across the world that would give anything and everything to be in college to get a college education to be at a bible college where they care and where you're getting the best teaching and training on the planet and i believe that you're that you have that privilege wow to whom much is given what much is required you say oh but i'm just a kid you know you got to you got to you know Pete, don't make me grow up too soon. You know, it's time to have some fun. I got the rest of my life to work. It's funny how in some things we want to be treated like adults, but in other things we want to take the, okay, I take the privilege of being a kid today. You're adults, men and women. We're in. There's people your age that are across the country right now that are uh, are flying airplanes, and shooting against enemy, and putting themselves in harm way. Are they kids? They're not kids. They're adults. You're an adult. You may not be doing it that way, but guess what? You're going to be putting your life on the line for Jesus now and for the rest of your life. That's a high calling. Wow, I can't think of anything that's more dangerous, that's more out there, that's more on the edge. And so we've got to learn how to get rid of this thing that is holding us back. So, what about college debt? Now here I'm not going to tell you everything that you want to hear. And I might not always be right, but I'm going to tell you number one, and this I know I'm right on, and I think you're going to agree with me, but you need to think about it too. It's not free or easy money. Oh, it's, it's not free and it's not easy. Every dollar that you take on for educational debt, you need to consider, is there another way? You need to pray. Is there possibly another way? I'm not saying don't do it. I know that, and I'm going to tell you how I paid my way through college, but then before I even tell you, I'm going to give a disclaimer. College tuition and costs have gone up exponentially compared to a lot of other things. It's horrible. It's terrible. I hate it, but it has. And this college does It loses money. (laughs) It doesn't make money. So they're not in the money-making business, and that's why it's so costly. They lose money. But the costs have gone up compared to in 1977 to 81 when I got my college education. Now that dollar over there, wherever in the heck it went, would be, you know, like a hundred dollars now compared to what it was then. So, yes, other things have gone up and everything as well. But I do understand, and I don't want anyone, I'm I'm not here to get rid of students of the college. I want more to come. I want you to stay here, okay? So don't don't get me wrong, and I know that for many of you, there's no way to be sitting where you're at unless you take on some college debt. What I'm going to hit today is this. For those of you that are freshmen, that are sophomores, and there's still a chance out there that you've got choices, you need to make better choices. You need to pray about and think about the choices that you're going to make. That for every $10,000 that you take on for debt, that's not easy money. What did I say we do with that? Multiply it by what? Ooh, $50,000. That's a lot of money over our lifetime that we robbed of ourselves. And so just think about it. College education for Bible students typically costs more than the average person it to cost you can go to UNB for what four thousand dollars or something, so it's more valuable here. So you pay fifteen thousand dollars to come here. You, you really need to think about are there ways to? So you know, if you think you have to get funding for all of that, there are probably other ways, it's not free money. It's very expensive money. To pay that for a college education, you can't afford to waste a minute. Number two on, on that whole idea, the number one was there's, it's not free money. Number two, and I don't want anyone throwing, me, throwing their donut at me, and this isn't directed at you because I don't know anybody here, thankfully, so I can say this. Many students are lazy and undisciplined. I mean... If it doesn't apply to you, you don't get offensed, okay? But if it does, take it. Learn. Swallow it. Let God teach you something. I I mean, I've already told you many workers are the same. My my folks are supposed to get there at 8 o'clock in the morning, and half the mornings I've been there to work for a couple hours, and they come in at 8.12. I'm like, what's up with that? They just robbed me of 12 minutes. They just robbed themselves of opportunity of a lifetime in where they might be able to go. Many students are lazy and undisciplined. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall your poverty come like a prowler. It goes together. Sleep and poverty. It does. One leads to the other. That's life. Number three thing about this, it's a four-letter word, work. It's not free money. Don't be lazy. Work. I thank God every day. I was born up in a family where it was drilled into me from all sides. If you want something, you work for it. Novel idea. That's what life is all about. In August of 1977, I came here to this college after I packed a bunch of old crappy furniture that nobody wanted onto the back of a pickup truck. My wife's on the other side and Ginger's in the middle, and we're all of 18 years old with $300 probably in the bank. No job, no way to pay for college, and came down here, and I think on George Street or something like that, we got an apartment. Somehow, they let us have it, and we moved in. It was probably like 500 square feet, and we moved in there, and as soon as we got everything unpacked, it was time for Pete to go find work. I got all signed in here, and for some reason, they let me come with no money, no way, you know, how are you going to pay for this? I have no idea, but I think I need to be here. So here's the thing you need to know about me. I know nothing. I'm the worst techie person. I've already given Shane the job that I'm supposed to have this. You want this to look at or anything? I'll probably never use it. I don't know how to use that. I don't know anything about electronics. Put that in the back of your memory. Number two, I don't know anything about cars. I mean, if I can pump my own gas, I'm doing really well. I know nothing (laughs) about cars. Number three. I'm going to tell you a little secret. When I grew up in my family with three sisters and my mom who loved to do housework so much, she actually ironed the underwear in our house. No joke. I can't hardly remember coming home from school a day that she didn't have the ironing board out. And she'd be whistling and smiling and singing hymns. She loved to clean. Pete never had to clean a day in his life until he got married. Number four, I'm very allergic to sawdust or any kind of dust. I take allergy pills every day and all that. So four things. So Pete starts going beating the bushes. Go down the road to the Metropolitan. That used to be the Walmart of Sussex. I went in there and begged for a job, and they said, we got one. It's in the electronics department. I said, sign me up, coach. So they gave me so many hours. I went to the electronics department, they had these things here, and all you had to do is slide this and show it to somebody. And if they asked how it worked, I said, I had no idea, but you know, you should buy one anyway, and they bought things. <laughs> and I got paid to do that. They must have been really desperate. But one job wasn't going to be enough. I had two other people we had three mouths to feed and pay for college. So I went, beat the bushes some more, found out that there used to be an SO station. Out there on the inner, you know, on the Trans Canada going to Moncton, and they needed someone to pump gas, and you actually had to check the oil and tire pressure that day. And someone had to show me how to do it. They said we can give you seven or eight hours a week. We need a shift covered here. And next door, they actually had a chicken place that you could actually, in your shift. Because they didn't have bathrooms. They had to come over to the Esso station, send their customers over there to go to the bathroom. That wouldn't even be legal today, would it? But anyway, they did it back then. And for that, we actually got a meal. So I got a meal paid for every week. Boy, that was great because that you know they paid me in addition to probably the $2.05 that I made an hour or a dollar and something. I have no idea. So I, I worked there. But that wasn't enough. I did the math, and I needed more money because I got to pay for my family, and I got to put myself through college. Oh, and by the way, I don't think I ever took less than, you can look it up, Ivan, but I don't think less than 16 hours any semester. And so <clears throat> next, I said, that's not enough. So I came down to the college, and they want to know how I was going to pay. And I said, well, you got any work here to do? And they said, yep, we, we need the chapel vacuumed, and we need the bathrooms cleaned. Who's never done cleaning before? Ah, that's me. I, I'm the man. I'm the guy. Pick me. I'll do that. So other people would shuffle into chapel at 11 o'clock or whatever time we had it. I'd be in the men's bathroom cleaning out urinals and doing all that. Okay, now I know you're thinking, okay, he's, gonna, he's telling us this story about he walked to school five miles backwards in three feet of snow. He didn't even have shoes on or whatever. Okay, that would be a lie. This is truth. But that wasn't enough money. And so they used to, they still have that mill out here? They, they had shifts. They actually wanted those machines to go most of the day, but six hours a day they didn't have the machines go because you can't just chop the tree. Sometimes you actually have to sharpen the axe. And so we would go out from 12 midnight till 4 in the morning. They would call up here to the school. You got any sucker students up there that could come out here and clean these machines from all the sawdust? So we did that, and that was the highest-paying job of all. They must have known because I couldn't even see from you from here to here. By about 1 o'clock in the morning, there was so much dust in there. What am I allergic to? Dust. I can remember at least twice having to go to the Sussex Hospital for asthma attacks. No wonder. I didn't say I was the smartest person in the world, and I think my grades here would reflect that. But you know what? I made a choice. I I would have liked to have made, and I, and I think I probably could have, Really high grades here. You know what was hard for me to do? To realize that there's trade-offs in life. And and that would be nice. And you know, between my wife at Bell South with 300 people under her at any given time, and myself, we have hired hundreds of people. Now, Dave Smith's going to want to close his ears right now. Don't get the wrong idea. But I've never hired a person Because they showed me that in their transcripts, they made the highest grades in college. Never. Never done that. Now, it it meant something. It was good. Although my wife made it all the way up there without a college degree. I'm not for a second. I'm telling you, get one. She wishes that, you know, she would have gotten one, but she chose not to because later she could have. But I made trade-offs. I said, you know, Feed my family or get a B instead of an A? I mean, because there are only so many hours to go around. You think I'm lying. I did all four of those jobs. Now, that one out there cleaning, that was kind of hit or miss. It wasn't a regular shift. They would call up here, but I don't ever remember saying no because we got paid well to do that. So some way, somewhere, I was going to get out there to do that. And I gave up a lot of college life, and I gave up the ability to get the kind of grades that I would have liked to have gotten here, But I still left with the diploma because I had work to do. It never even occurred to me, and I don't think student loans were big then, but they were available. It never occurred to me to actually, like, not pay my way. That said, I'm not telling you to do that. What I'm trying to do is get some of you not to take on as much as you take. You're making a choice, and it's a choice, not a have-to. It is. You could choose not to be sitting in the student center playing with all your friends half the night. You know, they, they say that poor people have big TVs. Wealthy people have big libraries. You know, we waste so much time in life, and you're either going to get paid. You're getting... You either get paid if you took a loan to watch mindless television or to do something valuable, and it's all about a choice. We all have that choice. Now, it is a fact that very few of you would get to attend this university or any other without some college loans. So, read my lips. It's okay to have some college loans. You heard it from me. It's hard for me to say, it's hard for me to say, but I'm saying it. But here's the thing. I guarantee that if you let me have an hour with you, and I, I'm, I, I don't have the time, but Ivan does. <laughs> I'm going to make him available. You give me an hour, and I will show you how to trim 2, 5, 10, 15, 20,000 off your bill. That you would, when you graduate, you would have that much less than what you have. You would have to have some. You wouldn't have to have it all. Because the day that the last class was taught here in the summer, we were gone. We were gone to Grand Manan. Guess what Pete did? You remember Good Fisher Pete? Oh, God has such a sense of humor. There's a guy down there that I got in touch with that my mom or somebody said like in January or February after my second year, he said... um, he has a saner, and a saner goes out and gets the sardines out off the coast of Nova Scotia or whatever, and they may be hiring someone for this summer. There's five crewmen, and they need another one. I said, sign me up, Scotty. That's who he was, Scotty Russell. I said, sign me up. I can fish. <laughs> yeah, I fed the fish, but uh, about all I did before that. But I always just say yes. I'll figure out the rest later. And so I got the job. That was a miracle. I do believe in prayer, too. You see, you pray as if everything depends on God and work as if everything depends on you. Francis Spellman said that. I wish I had of. Work as if everything depends on you. Pray as if everything depends on God. Listen, I spent a lot of time on my knees. I needed miracles and God gave me a miracle to work on a saner in the summer, he was going to find a way for me to actually be able to work and not just be sick on the back of the boat, and he did. You see, that kind of fishing, when you sail over to Nova Scotia on Sunday night, by the way, we would sail over to Nova Scotia, and it would take four or five hours, that trip could be rough. And I laid many a night outside on the netting at the back of the boat while the other guys were inside watching television, playing card games and all that stuff. I was on the back of the boat. But that cool air kept me from being sick. But the good thing is the way God is. You can only do that kind of fishing, and and it can't be too rough. It can be rough. It just can't be as rough as it was that day on, on the boat with my dad where I made it for like an hour. And they had to bring me in on the Coast Guard. And so you actually, it had to be decent, so I, I stood a chance. And God somehow helped me, and I made it through that summer. And that particular summer, I made enough money from, when did we get off then? I guess we'd have May, would you have May? to May, June, July, part of August. That particular summer, I made enough money to pay all of my schooling that year and about half of the year's expenses from literally August to the end of December for all of our apartment and food and everything. It was a miracle. But let me tell you something. I think God honors our willing. T- he, God looked down, and I don't think that I'm special and I don't think I'm the only one, but God looked down in that first year and He said, that young guy who's 18 years old, willing to take four jobs, willing to sometimes, oh, as hard as it was, say good enough in my classes instead of the best because there wasn't enough time to sleep, take care of my family, work, take the classes here, he smiled upon that. And you know what? I think when God sees us do that and when we come to the end of ourselves, and there's no nothing else that we can do, I think God steps in and says, Okay, that's enough, son. That's enough, daughter. You've done, you've proven to me you've done everything you can do. Let let me take over now. God took over. You see, but if I think that if He sees us thinking of it as easy money, and all we want to do is just, Hey, someone else, you know, someone else paid. No, you're going to pay. It may not seem like your money now, that's your money. You're the one that's got to pay it back. And you just say, hey, I deserve this. What we deserve, thankfully, because we know Jesus, none of us are going to get. But it's not a matter of deserve. It's not a rite of passage. It's not a, you know, it's not a guarantee in the Bible we're going to get a college education. But I think when God sees that you're doing everything you can and there's nothing left, a lot of times he says, good, I'm glad you finally got there. And I need you to do your part. But that's when I can take over and do the impossible on the other end. When you've done everything else, you see, if you haven't done everything you can do, all you're doing is then, you know, taking God's part. He, he wants to bring his part in, I think, when we've done everything we can do. Let me ask you the question. First-year student, second, third, or fourth, are you doing everything you could do? You say, oh, but Pete, there's so many good opportunities. They have missions things all over. Oh, it's great. You know, if I just do God's work, he's going to just take care of me. I, I'm all about missions Thing, My kids got to do those. I've gotten to do all those things. I think they're great. But I think sometimes you got to make a, a hard choice. And sometimes instead of going on five of those things, we do Three of those things. And two of them, you know what? we got to think about our future. If it's all about doing ministry today and you don't take care of what needs to be taken care of, the next 10 years you may not get to do the ministry you came here to get equipped to do. How, How much sense does that make? And yet if you leave these doors and you've got limited to no debt hanging over you, you're free to go anywhere. Anywhere that God wants you to go for the rest of your life. And some of you, unfortunately, have gotten yourself in a position where, I mean, it's it's not just going to magically go away. You've got to now make hard decisions. And some of those hard decisions, and I know this is where, again, you'll have others that will come up here and say, remember when Pete said this? Forget forget that. <laughs> I got the real truth. and And that's okay, but I'm going to tell you anyway. If you come out of here and you're just feeling the load of debt, here's my here's one idea. Not saying it's for you, saying it might be. Wouldn't it be great if you owed $40,000, $50,000, if you just said, okay, we're going to put, uh, um, uh, not a yardstick, um, uh, tape measure. You put a tape measure out, and let's say that the average life expectancy for those of you who are you know, 18 to 25, would be 85 years old. Not, not out of the realm of possibility. I just sat with one of my oldest clients a couple of weeks ago who's 98. So 85, not out of the realm of... So you put 85 inches across this floor and you take two inches off of that. Two. There's a lot of inches left. There's a lot of life left. So what if you leave here And you say, I'm going to take two years and I'm going to dedicate myself to live in abject poverty if I have to. I'm going to find a way. I'm going to pray a way for God to take care of me with the least amount of basics in life so that every dollar counts. And in two years, I'm going to wipe out $20,000 a year, $40,000 of that debt, and all the inches that are left From age 26 to 85, how much is that, 59 years left of my life, I can be free. I think that's a good choice. Oh, but I hear, oh, well, if you let kids get out of school and then they don't go right into ministry, they're they're going to buy things and they're going to get hooked on those things and they're going to get away from it and they're never going to go. They probably weren't called in the first place then. If they can't take two years out, the Mormons take more than that out of their life and go do missions things to go on with the rest of their career. There's lots. I mean, if, if the calling is not strong enough that you're working your fingers to the bone for the opportunity to have a lifetime of freedom of ministry, how strong was that calling in the first place? What do you mean it's the strong calling that makes you do that? And now you have all that much more experience and realizing work ethic and life and maturity and you're ready. I say, some in here will disagree, but I say for most people in Christian ministry, their most productive years are between 30 and 70 anyway. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not 18 and 19 and, you know, that I'm one of these that say, oh, you're not valuable now. When you grow up, you're going to be valuable. No, you're very valuable now. What I'm saying is that if you can get all that stuff taken care of, the schooling and the debt and all that stuff, you're free. You're free. I mean, the sky's the limit. If, if a missions organization needs you to go, you can go because there's no strings attached. But what did I say? The servant is a slave to the lender. And if you're a slave to the lender, you can't go because they got you. You owe them. That is your first responsibility. I think God would tell you your first responsibility is to take care of those things. That's your Christian witness. That's your number one priority. Before you go and do missions productively for God, you got to take care of the other things that are are responsibilities. Don't you agree with that? I mean, that's only proper. It's only right. How dare us take money and not pay it back? When you take that, you're taking a great gift. That is a great thing that someone is handing to you that you have, I bet, when you sign that paperwork said, I'm going to pay you back. You say, oh, they're not making me pay interest. They're not making me pay any principal back. Do you think when they gave you that, they expected that to happen? Do you? I think, I think they expected you to pay it back even though they're giving you a break right now. You think they expected it? I think they expected that. Shouldn't we do what they expect? Even if they say, oh, it's okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you another six months. I'm going to give you another, you know. They are wanting you. I mean, that is a responsibility. You never take money that you sign your name to as a Christian a person of integrity that you're going to pay that back. You you don't take it if you don't feel like you're going to pay that back. Does anyone agree? I mean isn't that isn't that what we're learning here at this Bible college that that's what our word is good. It 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 shouldn't even take being in writing, but if it is in writing and we give somebody our word, our word needs to be everything. If it isn't I mean, how productive are we going to be on a mission field or pastoring a church when we say one thing and do another? And so, again, you can pay now and play later, or you can play now and pay later, and your life, I know you, 12 years of high school, and now I'm in college. Oh, my gosh, I've got to get out there and actually do something. God has called me. i got to get out there. Just relax. It's all right. Take care of business. Do the things you need to do. Prepare. There's a lot of life left. Think about 85 inches. A lot of life left. Just take care of business. Get it behind you. I talked to a guy just the other day, 39 years old, left here 20 years ago, he and his wife, with some debt. They still got it. 20 years they still have it. Can you imagine the wait. How many nights have they gone to bed thinking about, oh, if that, if we could just erase that somehow. They could have and should have. But they didn't. So how do we, and, and we got to quit here in a second, but how do we get into this mess? How do we, you know, as a society and everything, how, how do we get into this? It, it's a, it, I call it a screwed up mindset. that says others have it. So why shouldn't I and why should I wait? when I don't have to I mean some of you have taken on more debt because others did it I mean are we going to just do what other people do Or are we going to do the right thing for us I mean who are you following we don't want to go through life doing things because others do it and because they they did it so it should be okay for me J.D. Rockefeller again was asked how much money is enough when he was alive, and he said, just a little bit more. That's what's wrong with our society. 38 hours of television per week for the average American. Tim Keller once said, money flows effortlessly to that which is our God. It does. Time flows effortlessly to that which is our God. Somebody said, I don't know what my values are. I can find them for you in just a few minutes. Show me your calendar and your checkbook. Your time and your money follows all of your values of life. You can say words as much as you want. This is what I value. Your time and money, two resources that when every minute is gone and every dollar is gone, it's never to be gotten back. It's an unplenishable resource. That's where your values are. Absolutely, they don't lie. So, What do we need to practice? Okay, everybody say this after me, after I say it once. Delayed gratification. What did I say? Delayed gratification. Say it again. Delayed gratification. You need to practice that in many areas of your life. The gratification may come later. Delay it. You don't need it now. Will Rogers said, we'll show the world we're prosperous even if we have to go broke to do it. And we are. I've already proven that. The world is a mess, a fiscal mess. It's time for the Christians to show once again we're different. We're not normal. We're going to be different. We're not going to show the world we're prosperous by going in debt. How ridiculous is that? Did you know that debt is one of the few things in life that you can acquire without money? Think about it. It is. It's too easy. All right, one more, and then I'm done. Okay, the the picture of the car. Wait, not yet, Shane. Okay, the year's 1984. After lunch, I'm going to show you how to have paid-for cars for the rest of your life. Nobody in this building should ever have a loan on a car. You say, oh, that's easy for you, Pete. You make a lot of money. Oh, I did it when I had no money. Believe me. Let me tell you this, the the year is 1984. I'm 25 years young. I've moved now my family of five to Prince Edward Island to pioneer a church called Island Wesleyans. Still in existence. In the 25th anniversary, I went back and spoke there. What a great event. Many of the people that are in here, including Pastor Mark and all, went over there and put blood, sweat, and tears, and prayer, and money, and time, and knocked on doors, and whatever. Well, I got there at Island Wesleyan, and I needed a car. You know, I got to get out and visit people and do things. I need a car. So I started looking. I've always been good at this all my life. I've always learned how to, you know, I shop around. I ask questions. I, I can delay the gratification. I've got to find the right thing. Oh, man, I found the right thing. After looking around, talking to a lot of people, I found my dream car. Shane, show them a picture of my dream car. Oh, baby. It was 1984, that's a 1972 AMC Hornet, orange with a white roof. I had saved enough money to pay $800 cash for that car. I could have gotten a loan. The bank told me they would give me over $3,000. Now that's not a whole lot of money, but it's a lot more than $800. You get a nice car in 1984 for $3,000. For a loan, said, what? Pay you guys interest on my money? Are you kidding me? You should be paying me. So that's what you're going to do. So for the rest of my life, they've always paid me. I ain't going to pay them. It's either one or the other. You make the choice. Do you want other people to pay you interest or you want to pay them interest? I mean, come on now. It's not a hard choice. This is You know, we're, 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 we passed high school, right? So there's my car. You know what you got to do about money? Swallow your pride. You know what my kids called that car? The duck car. You know why? Because when I take my two little girls to school and drop them off, they'd be like, duck, somebody's going to see us and sneak out the back door. That's not a word of a lie. If I shut my mouth and you got them on speakerphone right now and asked them, they would tell you they know the duck car. We talk about it to this day. 800 bucks. you know what I did? Instead of paying all that money out to the... I knew this was only going to last so long, so I started paying myself whatever my car payment will be. Bank said, hey, I'll give you $3,000. We're going to stretch it over all these years. It's going to cost you $150 a month. I said, I'm going to pay me. So I started a fund and put my next car fund into it over the next couple years. I was telling the crowd yesterday, oh, this is better than lunch, okay? So... (laughs) If you've ever been to Prince Edward Island, anybody? Okay. I went, we our our church of all the great towns to, to start a church was in Crapo P-E-I. Anybody been to Crapo? Woo-hoo. So people that I was embarrassed, I would tell them it was I would tell them it was Hampton. That was a close town by. And we uh we started a church in Hampton. I didn't want to say Crapo. So anyway, <clears throat> I'm out visiting one day. I remember the late Rhoda was her name. I went to visit her and her husband. Can't think of his name. And it was over near Summerside. And I left there and was driving back to Crapo. And it would be normally about, a I don't know, 45 minutes or something like this. And I came by Borden. That's where the, you know, the bridge is and everything now. Came by Borden going to Crapo. I knew that this car was now two years in. It was 1986. I knew we were in trouble. We, every day was a gift from God. And I got past Borden, maybe 20 minutes from Crapo, and the old smoke came out from the hood, and she just started to die, and I got that old, there was no such thing as power steering. It was all the power you could get. Off to the side of the road, I looked at that baby, and I said, Thank you, Jesus, you've been a great, great gift for me. I pulled anything of value out of that car, got out, and walked home. Someone did pick me up, went in the house. Ginny said, where's your car? And I said, it's on the road between Borden and here, and I've never seen it since that day. (laughs) Never. Never seen the car. It was dead. It was gone. The engine was gone. I wasn't going to put a dime more in it. I'd already saved up my money for my next beautiful car, and I've never seen that car. I got on the horn on the, on the uh, telephone, and I found a company that would come and take that away, and they wouldn't charge you if they could use it for, I can't imagine a part that they actually ever used off of it, but they took it away, I've never seen it since, not a word of a lie. But I had $2,200 saved up over two years, and I bought my next car, and I bought a blue Hyundai, I don't have a picture of that today, but I got a blue Hyundai, and that's when they first came out and nobody wanted them, and this person got rid of it because they heard all these horror stories. And I went, and I put my hand on it, and I prayed over it. And I said, God, this has got to be my next car because this car I can afford, and I bought that. And I've never, ever had a car payment since. This was 1984. I'm a church planter with a family of five people. It can be done. Others around me were driving nice cars. It was a choice. Life is all about choices. It's a compound effect. And because of the choices I made, here's my car today. Ooh! And I paid cash for that too. But you know what? Here's what's going to surprise you that didn't cost more than some of the cars that are associated with this university. That one didn't. No, that's a 2001. It was 13 years old. Oh, my friends who do my business that make a lot of money, they buy new ones. I made one mistake in my life. That's all I can remember, one mistake in my life. I bought one new car. It'll never happen again. I can buy any new car, and I don't mean this boastfully. I can buy any new car that I know of that's out there that they make. right now and write a check for it. And I consider that a blessing and a gift from God. I don't say it with any bragging, and I think you know that. But I have a 13-year-old car today. I didn't learn a whole lot from the Hornet. That was 12 years old, man, proudly. I got a 13-year-old car today. He's been paid for since the day I drove off the lot with it. See, you too can do that you got to make up your mind in life. Are you going to pay others' interest? Are you going to get paid? See, remember, i got to go back, and then we'll go to lunch. Remember that Hyundai I got for $2,200? I paid $1,700 for that. You know why I paid $1,700? I earned interest on that money along, and so part of the money I wrote the check for was my money. Part of it was the bank's money. (laughs) That's the money that you pay them. Yeah, (laughs) seriously. I get that. And so I was doing that when I made no money. I mean, that wasn't when I owned a company and made good money. I did this when I made no money. When I was making less than most of the people in any community and they were buying new cars, I did that. You see, you can do that. It doesn't take a whole lot of money to be smart with money. It takes some brains and discipline, swallow your pride. That's what you've got to do. You can have a paid-for car every year. Most people today buy a car they can't afford. They do. And I'll tell you, that's a killer. That, that will put ropes around you and tie you up. It's one thing a house, because that appreciates in value. Uh, uh, an education, and again, ugh, I don't want you to have that debt, but I'll, I'll let you have some, is an investment. But understand that, unfortunately, you're paying more for your college education than most to go into a career that you're going to get paid less. It's upside down. But that's what you chose. That's what God chose for you. And he'll find a way. He will make a way, but I think he's after you to show him that you're worthy, that you're going to do your part, that when you have come to the end of yourself, that's when he takes over and finds a job on that saner and just like, you know, he humored me with those jobs he got me in the first year, then he humored me again in a better way when he found me that job that summer to pay all those things. Isn't God amazing? That's what he does. but he's looking for a partner. He's looking for a partner. Now, this afternoon you're going to learn a lot more than just about how to pay cars for cash for cars and, and get you know have less debt for college. I got so much good stuff. I don't want to be here alone. Don't make me be alone, will you? Somebody come back? All right, what time are we coming back? One o'clock. 1 o'clock, we're coming back. I got good stuff, $100,000 an hour. Thank one, you. So 1 o'clock, be back here.